After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana of Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of the disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, We will go with you. They went and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, Children, do you have any fish? They answered, No. He said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place, with fish laid out on it, and bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, a hundred and fifty-three of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. This is God's word. Bring you greetings from Christ Church in Atlanta, Georgia, uh, which is the first plant of college church outside of the Chicagoland area. And so uh, God has been very gracious in blessing the ministry of uh, Pastor Zach Fallon and Christine, and now a hundred adult members and about fifty kids uh, in Christ Church. So uh, God's been pleased to give us a vibrant testimony in the community, and so. I want to express our thankfulness to the pastors, to the elders, and to all of you, the congregation of College Church, for supporting this work and with your giving and with your prayers. I also bring you greetings from uh, 40 church planters that I was just with the last couple weeks, uh, teaching the book of Romans, and uh, God has laid it on their hearts to go to a very difficult part of the world, uh, their country and a neighboring country to uh, plant churches and uh, pastor those churches. And so as I was with them, quite often I thought of all of you, and I'm so thankful that College Church is our sending church, and uh, thank you for having a vision for bringing the gospel and bringing training for pastors around the world. It's a privilege and an honor. Well, this morning as we come to God's Word, I trust that uh, all of us will be encouraged, uh, both missionaries and all of us, that 
Grace really is at the bottom of what God has called all of us to do. And so if you haven't already, turn with me to John chapter 21. As you come to John 21, there have already been four resurrection appearances of of Jesus on Easter Sunday in Jerusalem. And then a, a week later, there was an appearance to Thomas and the disciples And now the Passover week is over and people have gone to their homes and because uh, both an angel and Jesus told the disciples to go to Galilee and they were told there Jesus will reveal himself to you. In obedience, seven of those disciples uh, make their way to the Sea of Galilee. We've heard their names read in verse 2. It's uh, springtime, it's a familiar place, a beautiful time of the year. And in verse 3, Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. And they said to him, we will go with you. And they went out and got into the boat. Many people think that definite article, the boat, could rightly be translated their boat. And it's quite likely it was the same boat that they were in some years ago. And Certainly, they're familiar with the lake, and they know it well, and so everything is wonderful, except for one slight problem, verse 3. That night, they caught nothing. Verse 4, just as day was breaking, so as the sun is coming over the Judean hills in the east, and they know that In just a few moments, all the good fishing will be gone. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Verse 8 tells us that Jesus is about 100 yards away, the length of a football field. And so in the morning, dawn, some it's still dark. They wouldn't know who it was. And so Jesus lifts his voice, verse 5. Jesus said to them, children, it's not the usual word for children, it's a term of endearment, hard to translate into English, even the word kids would not get it, probably something like kiddos would be the idea. And Jesus asked them, children, do you have any fish? You can almost hear the voice of Jesus reverberating off of the lake. Do you have any fish, 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 fish? And they answer him in verse 5, no, 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 no. Why is Jesus asking them if they have any fish when he knows quite well that they have none? Jesus is not asking for his own benefit to learn something. He's asking for their benefit so they can learn something. And he's bringing them back to an experience three years ago. Same lake, same boat, same fishermen, same experience. Luke 5 says they fished all night, caught nothing. And they're washing their nets, and Jesus said, go out to the deep and let down your nets. And the disciples answered, be fished all night and caught nothing but at your word. And then 
wham, they catch a net load of fish. And now, three years later, it is an instant replay. Verse 6, he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. There's one person in the boat who's uh, thinking, this all seems eerily familiar. Same boat, same lake. And that voice is familiar as well. Verse 7, that disciple whom Jesus loved, John's way of referring to himself, that disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. It's been my experience that in every church there are some people whom God has graced with a quicker spiritual understanding with spiritual maturity and insight and knowing the scriptures and then be able to see the providence of God and the hand of God and the person of Christ in the affairs of themselves and others. And as you get older, perhaps the challenge is to lose your patience with people who aren't quite so quick to get it and If you're one of the people that God has blessed with insight, he's placed you at college church so you can help some of the other people around you. Even as John is helping Peter, you can help them see Christ amidst their situation, amidst their difficulties. And so John says to Peter, that's the Lord. And Peter responds, verse 8, When Simon heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. And what follows, we've already heard the verses read out, I think is one of the most tender scenes in all of Scripture. Let me see if I can unpack a few lessons for you. See, this resurrection appearance is not simply about Jesus proving to his disciples that he is alive. They're already firmly convinced of that. Peter himself has seen the risen Christ at least three times. And so this resurrection appearance is not simply cementing the fact that Jesus is risen, but Jesus is revealing something of his character to these men. What he's revealing is that he is sovereign. He is in control of everything. He has sovereignly kept all of the fish in the Sea of Galilee out of their nets, and at precisely the right second, he puts 153 of those fish into the net. And so the lesson for us is that the risen Christ is sovereign over every fish in the sea, bird in the air, Every star that was shining over the nighttime lake, every planet, every king, every ruler, every angel, every nation, the risen Christ is sovereign over all things. And how did he get that sovereignty? 
Well, God raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule, authority, and power, above every name that is named, not only in this age, but the age to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church. And so, friends, I hope you know that Jesus Christ, the risen Christ, is sovereign over all things today, even the hardest things. But the passage also tells me not only is the risen Christ sovereign, but I would say that his sovereignty is a tender sovereignty. His tenderness is seen in verse 5 when he yells out to them, children. In verse 9, he prepares a breakfast for them. The fish are all laid out and arranged. He tenderly invites them in verse 12, come and have breakfast. And in verse 13, he himself, the risen Christ, tenderly takes the bread and he gave it to them. What earthly sovereign would do that? with all of their power. Only Jesus would do that. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. I trust that you have a high view of the sovereignty of God and of the risen Christ, but I hope that is mixed with the tenderness that comes out in this passage. And what does Christ do with his sovereignty? What is the supreme expression of his tender sovereignty? I would submit to you that in this passage it is expressed through forgiveness. Maybe you're thinking, well, I was listening, I'm reading the passage. Where does it speak of forgiveness? I'm glad you asked. Consider for a moment who is in the boat. You have Peter who denied Jesus three times. You have Thomas the doubter. The sons of Zebedee, James and John, who drifted asleep in the Garden of Gethsemane. And all seven deserted Jesus not too long ago. So a denier, a doubter, drifters and deserters. Not a college church missionary in the whole lot. And yet one word in the passage speaks to me of tender forgiveness. That word is in verse 9. And I'll read it and see if you can see what word it is. When they got out on land... They saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. I would submit to you that the word charcoal is the word that expresses forgiveness. It's an unusual word used only twice in the scriptures here. And then just a few chapters earlier in John 18, 18. When Jesus is arrested and he's in the courtyard of Caiaphas and Peter is lurking in the shadows, he's afraid, he's cold. 
And the servant girl says to him, you are one of this man's disciples. And Peter says, uh, no, I'm not. And where was Peter standing when that happened? Now the servant and officers had made a charcoal fire. Because it was cold and they were warming themselves, Peter also was with them standing and warming himself. It's quite likely that this was the only other time in Peter's life that he'd ever stood by such a fire. And now as he comes to this charcoal fire, the man who denied Jesus three times, as you continue to read this passage, yes, this is the place where Jesus is going to three times tell him, feed my sheep, and he's going to reinstate Peter. And so this fire will forever not be a place of denial, but it'll be a place of forgiveness, of restoration, of mercy, of fellowship. It is Jesus' way to say to the denier, the doubters, the drifters, and the deserters, all is well. Well, may College Church be a place where, as the hymn writer wrote, Come ye sinners, poor and needy, bruised and broken by the fall. Jesus, ready, stands to save you, full of pity, love, and power. If there's one thing that the risen Christ loves to do, As an expression of his tender sovereignty, he loves to forgive sinners. And may College Church continue to be a place where sinners find a great Savior. This passage reveals the character of Christ. He's sovereign. He's tender and forgiving. But it also reveals something important about the Christian life. And it's important to mention it as we are here for the Missions Festival and grace is to be the focus. Listen carefully, Jesus has no problem telling people to go. In his next resurrection appearance, he is going to say to these men, go. He's going to give the great commission and Jesus has no problem with all of his sovereign authority telling men and women to go, knowing that many of them are going to lay down their life for the gospel. And as I've been traveling the last six, seven years, country after country, and teaching pastors and church planners on more than one occasion, I've just asked, well, how many of you have been in prison? And many hands go up in the room. And someone will roll up their sleeve and show me some scars on their arm. I was in India a while ago and asked, well, where's brother so-and-so from a previous class? And people said, oh, you did not hear. Well, he and his family were burned to death by Hindu extremists. Well, Jesus has no problem telling people to go and lay down your life. But this resurrection appearance tells me that before Jesus says go, he says come. Before he says go and make disciples, he says come and have breakfast. Before you serve me, I want to serve you. Before the great commission is the great invitation. 
Before we go and tell others, we need to first taste and see that the Lord is good. See, sheer obedience will get you to the mission field, but it won't keep you there with a joyful and smiling heart amidst all the difficulties. Friday night at our missionary dinner, we listened to a career missionary share how sheer obedience had brought her to the mission field, but she found herself broken and empty and despairing. And she said, I knew that God loved Muslims, but I wasn't so certain that he loved me. Well, that's what this breakfast is all about. Jesus wants joyful, happy, filled followers who taste and see that the Lord is good. And when Jesus, verse 9, lays the fish out, the bread, and he comes and says, have breakfast, and he takes it and gives it, that is his way of inviting us to know that he is good. And so if you're a young person here today, college student, and you're wondering, well, what's the best way to prepare to be a missionary? Well, yeah, go to school and, you know, knock yourself out. I did that. I enjoyed it. But the number one way that you can prepare to be a missionary is to come and sit at the feet of Jesus and know that he is good. To drink deeply of his tender sovereignty expressed to you in forgiving you. And there's nothing that puts a smile on my soul more than the grace of Jesus expressed in verse 10. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So you've read this passage, have you ever wondered why Jesus said that? Bring some of the fish that you have just caught. There's already fish sizzling on the fire. There's bread there. Why did Jesus say, bring some of the fish that you just caught? Did Jesus not count how many people were in the boat and he suddenly realized, oh, don't have enough? Did he suddenly look hungrier than the resources that he had prepared? Probably not. Able to feed 5,000 with a few fish and a few loaves, I'm certain he can feed these seven hungry fishermen. Well, Kurt more than once asked me, Steve, make sure you mention the grace of God. So, Kurt, here it is. Jesus graciously invites and receives their contribution of the fish that he himself has given them. Just think about that for a moment. Jesus graciously invites and receives their contribution of the fish that he himself just gave them. The hymn writer said it this way, we bring to Christ what is already his, and he accepts it from 
our hands. See, this is the narrative version, I believe, what you heard preached here last Sunday from Ephesians 2.10. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand. Which God put into the net in eternity past that we should walk in them. For missionaries, we have to have eyes to see that the risen Christ is sovereign and tender and forgiving. And he stands ready to receive the fish that we bring him. And if your nets seem empty, may God give you the grace to trust and hope in him. And when the nets are filled with 153 fish, I hope there's a humble awareness that it is all of grace. And what is it that God has given to you to bring to him what is already his, and he will accept that? That is amazing grace. And to any future missionaries, maybe there's a young boy, young girl, college Young adult or even an old adult, I was 56 when I became a missionary. Before Jesus says to you, go, he says, come. Come and have breakfast. Come and taste and see that the Lord is good. And missions is nothing more than Jesus filling your empty net and then inviting you to bring what he gave you and contribute it to the greatest meal ever. And if God calls you to that, there is not a greater adventure in life. So what is God putting into your net? You don't have to be a missionary. None of my kids are missionaries. They're school teachers and moms. And our son, Jake, some of you know him, high school English teacher in Virginia, has 50 kids uh, coming weekly, the majority of whom don't know Christ, to hear God's word and the parables that Jesus spoke. And our daughter Kate, working with unwed mothers. These are all the good works that God has created before the foundation of the world that we might walk in them. One final point. Do you ever read these stories, perhaps in the Gospels, and wonder, wow, I wish I could have been there? What would it be like to stand at the Sea of Galilee and watch the sun come up in the east and hear the voice of Jesus echo off the water and to look at that fish and to hear it sizzle and to smell it? Wish I could have been there. Well, if you are a follower of Christ, one day you will be there. Blessed are those servants whom the Master finds awake when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will dress himself for service. 
and have them recline at table, and he will come and serve them. And there won't be just seven fishermen around a little seashore. There's going to be a myriad of people from every tongue and tribe and nation. For the marriage supper of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. She is clothed in fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And then Jesus will say to you, bring some of the fish that you just caught. And you're going to smile and say, you mean the fish that you gave me? And he'll smile and say, yeah, those are the fish. And then you're going to bring those deeds that you have done in his name, the very works that God prepared before the foundation of the world, and then you are going to contribute those things to a feast of joy that will never end. And that is the grace in missions, that we bring to Christ what is already his, and he accepts it from our hands. Such is God's grace for all of us. Thanks be to God. Do you pray with me? Father, we thank you that you have given all authority to your Son, the risen Christ. We thank you for his absolute sovereignty over all things. We thank you that he is tender and calls us by name. Father, I thank you for the many saints here at College Church who are expending themselves in the gospel. Thank you for the netfuls of fish that they are bringing by your grace. May you encourage any who are growing weary in the task. May you make the future feast real to each of us. And we thank you for your matchless grace. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.